Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The United States continues to grapple with cultural tension over race, the military, and religion. We talk about the latest news around these topics and listener feedback in today's episode. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. to another episode, everyone. Our Friday episodes, we try to keep a little bit shorter than our Tuesday episodes and just run through the news and get to some feedback. So we'll start with a couple of quick topics. I wanted to mention that Mohayadeen Dabaha, who was 32 years old and kind of made famous by grabbing a Confederate flag from a protester in Charleston, South Carolina, was killed on Tuesday morning in New Orleans. Uh, he was riding his bike and was shot and killed. The New Orleans Police Department has not, at the time of our recording, released additional details about this incident, but it's certainly sad. You know, this was a young man who, by all accounts, was doing a lot for his community, a lot for the Black Lives Matter movement, and just very sorry to see his life ended too soon. Another reminder of racial and cultural tension happened in our home state this week. A Confederate statue was vandalized in Louisville. And I think both of these things are just poignant examples of how 
the tension that we're experiencing around race, even when it's not making the national headlines, is still just bubbling through our communities everywhere and is something that we're confronting every single day. Absolutely. I just finished Brené Brown's Braving the Wilderness, and she talks in particular about sort of Black Lives Matter and how race and gender and class are this undercurrent of pain and tension inside of our society. When it comes to the surface, I think we all react differently. But one of the arguments he makes, which I think is so powerful, is that sometimes it's just important to witness it before we react to just sit with it a minute and not react immediately when a Confederate statue is vandalized or a Black Lives Matter protester is shot, but just to sit with the pain so many feel in our society that the conflict that we are still dealing with from decades of racial injustice that continues to this day is hard. It's hard. You want to have an opinion and have a solution, and it's hard to just sit with the conflict and pain around these subjects in our culture. I think that's a matter of practice, too, because I find myself getting better at that, I think. I think I'm more aware all the time of the fact that I'm white. There are experiences to which I cannot relate. There is a level of pain that I do not understand. That doesn't make me guilty of anything. It doesn't take anything away from me. It just means that I have a different role here. And one of those roles is to acknowledge this and try to train myself to keep it in the front of my mind because I'm able to put it in the back of my mind sometimes. It's not present in my life every day, but the more I can teach myself that and then teach myself not to tell anybody else what to feel about it, but just to observe it and keep caring about it and keep it in my heart, I I think that becomes easier with practice. I think we spend a lot of time telling each other how to feel about things. We got a really piece of great feedback from Karen about Christian privilege that I think is relevant here about how she feels like just like white is the default in our culture, that Christian is the default in our culture. And she feels really angry and frustrated that we spend a lot of time giving extra attention to evangelicals and Christians because they feel slightly less dominant in a culture. And for someone who, like Karen, who is not a Christian, it feels frustrating and angry, and I totally understand that. And when you, what made me think about that, um, when you said how we're supposed to feel, as many of you know, we passed a fairness ordinance in Paducah recently, and I had a friend call me yesterday and say, I didn't know the correct answer to this, but I had friends that were telling me that because of the fairness ordinance, now if you were discriminated because you were a white male, you would have no claim. Like, you can only be discriminated against based on sexual orientation, like, or you can only be discriminated against if you're black, not if you're white or you're Christian. And I said, well, that's not true. The law states very clearly that it's race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, age, or gender identity. If you are discriminated based on your membership in those groups, then that's discrimination. But I think that reaction speaks more than, to more than just a misinterpretation of the law. It's this their rights must come at expense of mine. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are two groups, and one, one, one must gain power at the expense of the other. And when we are afraid, that's how we react. And it is so difficult to push past that. It is so difficult to assure people that there's not a finite amount of justice to be passed out. There's not a finite amount of power to be shared and that we don't have to do this to each other. We just don't have to do this to each other. We can recognize one group's inherent dignity without diminishing the other group's 
ability to practice their sincerely, sincerely held religious faith. I believe that to the core of who I am. It's so difficult, though, to have other people see that. I think there is a parallel to the conversations we've been having about Me Too and gender equality, too. The empowerment of women to say what's happened to them doesn't have to be at the expense of all men as a group. But I think that's the approach that we take to these things. And I think within the conversation about Christianity is such a hard one because we're really talking about a couple of different things. There is cultural Christianity, which is kind of different than sincerely held beliefs in Christianity, right? And both of those things are, I I think Karen is right that both of those things are dominant, but I think cultural Christianity is much more dominant and is being used differently. And I think there is within people who would identify as Christian, a real gap over the dominance of cultural Christianity versus the dominance of Christianity as a faith. I think about things like, and and I struggled with this, you know, when I was responsible for scheduling events and meetings, sometimes I would not think to look at non-Christian holidays in that scheduling. And that's a lesson that I learned the hard way and, and struggled with throughout because I didn't understand all of the other holidays to make good judgments about what what's important, what time something happens. You know, I think we do a very poor job in the area that I live in recognizing how many people are practitioners of the Jewish faith and making cultural space for that. And that's probably true outside of my area as well. And then I look at statements like the one that has been publicized this week from an advisor of an evangelical minister who advises President Trump's campaign, where Gloria Copeland said that basically Christians don't get the flu. Her quote was, Jesus himself is our flu shot. He redeemed us from the curse of the flu. I mean, I want everybody to know that that has no place in my church or my faith. You know, so I think that this has become so difficult because Christianity, and and this isn't new either. I think it's always been kind of cultural on one side and then the values of humility and compassion and turning the other cheek on the other side. But so many people right now are using Christianity in an offensive way. I can absolutely understand Karen's feedback and everyone else who feels like Christianity gets a disproportionate share of the public discussion and disproportionately impacts public policy. Fun fact, we get flu shots at my church and Jesus is not the one handing them out. Just yes. Yeah. Yeah. I posted on my personal Twitter that uh, this Sunday, this past Sunday at my church, the focus was the environment and caring for the environment as a as a responsibility for people of faith and our two women ministers highlighted in our congregation a woman who runs the ecology department at a local college and talked she has a phd she talked about the importance of science in in her faith and the connection between those two things and then two men who are married to one another one is black and one is white by video gave us a tour of their farm and talked about sustainable farming and how important it is to grow the food that they eat and how all that connects to their faith so i worry when people like gloria copeland are out there that a lot of the country, and I, and then I feel silly saying this, right, because of Karen's point that Christianity is so dominant. But I, there is a part of me that says, no, 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 but it's like, it's not really this. It's not what's dominating that is actually Christianity. Well, and here was my point to Karen and the point I'll make to everyone. Every interaction with the culture in our country, particularly with regards to our children, 
should be an opportunity for conversation and education, even if you, and especially if you are a member and consider your, the, a part of that dominant culture as your identity. So I consider myself a Christian, but we have lots of talks about things I disagree with that our minister says, things I disagree with that other Christians say, why so much of what we do happens at church, why there are so many things in Paducah that happen at church. I don't, you know, I, don't, I think that avoiding it is a Sisyphean task anyway. And so to me, the better task is to engage and to educate. I find myself doing that a lot with gender culture, gendered experiences, the, the dominant narrative around gender. Because, you know, I spent a fair amount of time fighting it and I was just left exhausted and angry. And I think the better way is to just constantly have be in a conversation with your children about like, hey, I heard that parent say boys don't cry. Well, we know in our family that we do cry and that's okay. Like, I just think that, you know, it's like we were saying before, instead of just reacting or to, to respond in a thoughtful way, because the dominant culture is not going anywhere. And why in fighting it is you know, exhausting and not always productive. And I think the better way is to educate and raise awareness so that you feel like you're shining light on the culture. Because I think that's the best way to, so much of its power is because there's not an awareness that that's the way we talk about things and the way that we, the messages we send each other. And once we can all have some awareness, once we can see the water around us, I think it makes the, the, the dismantling of it so much easier. It's also, and this gets to something that we'll talk about more in a second, we have to choose whether we want to be wall builders or bridge builders, to put it in an oversimplified and kind of cliche way. So for me, Christianity is the foundation of my beliefs, but I recognize that I share so many more values than I differ with with atheists, with people of other faiths, I feel like values is a great way to unite that conversation. So when you think about somebody like Michael Weir, who came on the show and had been part of faith outreach in the Obama administration, I understand the discomfort with the idea of faith outreach. And that's why his office had this much longer name, because what it was really getting to is like, how can we support neighborhoods who are acting around their values and around their shared values? So speaking of values, the president has been touting his love of our military since he first started seeking the office. I'm just, because I do not feel that I am capable of articulating this in a neutral way, I'm just going to read from NPR. (laughs) Don't send it to me because I most certainly will not be able to articulate it in a neutral way. President Trump, apparently inspired by the Bastille Day parade he witnessed last summer during a trip to Paris, has ordered the Pentagon to look into staging something similar, but naturally bigger and better, for Washington, D.C., the White House confirmed Tuesday. A U.S. official confirmed the request to NPR. On Tuesday evening, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders shared in a statement that President Trump is incredibly supportive of America's great service members who risk their lives every day to keep our country safe. She added, he has asked the Defense Department to explore a celebration at which all Americans can show their appreciation. Okay, I have some thoughts. First of all, I would like to remind everyone that the reason he saw that Bastille Today parade is literally because we all paid to fly him to France so they could praise him and pat him on the back. There was no diplomatic or governmental purpose for that trip other than to have a parade for him. I remember that. Does everybody else? I do. It upsets me. Okay, that's the first thing. 
Second of all, here's the thought. I am willing to do this. Let's poll our service members. If they actually think there is a benefit to spending the money on a big flashy parade, I'm willing to consider it. But I want to put it to a vote with our men and women in the armed forces first. That's my thought. I love that idea. If they want it, let's do it. Otherwise, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm not interested in piling on about this. I do want to acknowledge that we are in a really difficult time. I think being a part of a military family at this moment in history, and and that having nothing to do with President Trump, would be so hard because we don't rally around our troops the way that we did in previous conflicts. We don't understand our conflicts. We don't understand where people are or why they're there. Not enough of us are connected to the military to have a sense of community. And so I, I, one thing I've consistently appreciated about this administration is the focus on veterans issues and the commitment to try to serve our veterans more effectively. And if this is truly an attempt to honor our service members in a way that our service members would receive, I think your idea is a great one. Let's just ask them, do they want this? If it is more about showing the world our vast military power, I think we have avoided that studiously for a long time for very good reasons and should continue to do that. Yeah, I'm a hard pass if that's why we're doing this. Because it's not that we don't recognize the contributions of our men and women armed services. It's that we do it in an incredibly shallow way. Yes. And I don't think adding a parade to the list of shallow ways, we want to pat them on the back, but not actually support them or understand their experiences or just spitballing here, getting them out of these conflicts to begin with would be more appropriate. It's really hard to get past that shallowness. That's, I'm glad that you said that because that's something I was thinking about in preparation for this episode. Right now, we are looking at everything through a pretty shallow lens. I think that's the whole conversation about the national anthem and kneeling versus not kneeling in the NFL. All of our symbols have kind of taken over the underlying sentiments. That's Jesus and the flu shot, right? That is such a shallow understanding of what faith means. But that's kind of our direction. And so... How do we change the trajectory? And maybe things like what you're talking about, Sarah, is a great way to do that. Let's get the people who are most directly affected a a decision-making role and present all the pros and cons. Okay, we're going to do this parade. It's going to cost this much. For that much, here are other things that we can do. What's more important to you? And let them tell us. I think that's a great idea. That's very nuanced, Sarah. Good job. Thanks. Well, next up, we're going to talk about some listener feedback. And rockets. Don't forget the rockets. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we got some great listener feedback this week. Michelle wrote us about our Hear Her Harvard story. Beth, tell us what Michelle had to say. So Michelle's point is that Harvard is trying to address a lot more than campus assault by its policy against single gender organizations. And she tells the story of a grant-based financial aid incentive designed to bring in more socioeconomic diversity to Harvard. Michelle attended Harvard under this program. And she said, you know, it, it was successful in that there was more representation, but students from low-income backgrounds had a really hard time integrating into the school. Here's how Michelle describes it. Almost 100% of students live on campus, and once you leave freshman year, you are placed into one of the houses. It's very Hogwarts, and stay there until graduation. Social life is divided between small parties with friends in the houses, larger events hosted by student groups in the house dining halls, and parties at the finals clubs. The finals clubs, frats, and sororities definitely have a rarefied elite air about them, which is intensified by the lack of an open rush system. For most of the single-gender organizations, you can only join if you are invited to do so via anonymous letter 
The three sororities are an exception to this, but the female finals clubs are not. Add to this the fact that many of the clubs boast wealthy and powerful alumni networks that tend to be white, and that the parties and atmospheres of the SGOs are exactly what you'd expect if you read The Great Gatsby and seen The Social Network. And you can imagine that lower-income students and students of color don't necessarily feel like any of the single-gender organizations are welcoming them, although there are a few that try to do a better job than others. All this to say, I'm pretty sure Harvard is painting with a broad brush when it comes to their new policy because it's an opportunity to tackle not only sexual assault, but also problems of racial and socioeconomic exclusivity. I keep going around and around in my own head about what I think the right answer would be for Harvard, and I'm still not sure. Thank you so much for sharing that, Michelle. I think that's really important color for the the conversation that we were having. Yeah, and I definitely think that I was talking from mainly from my experience of Transy, which I'm very confident saying is super, super different than going to Harvard. <laughs> it's super different from going to Harvard, and it also has some some problems, right? Some similar yeah, challenges. Same problems. Yep. And I imagine that most, especially private schools, have a lot of those challenges, and probably some public schools as well. It kind of takes me back to our conversations about how we need to do some thinking about what the undergraduate experience is supposed to mean. Yeah, definitely. So Melissa asked us to think about what the conservative experience might mean. Right, Beth? Melissa sent us a message that is similar to messages that I receive often about how she feels like our podcast is not left and right as much as left and more left because I am a more perhaps moderate presence on the podcast than you are, Sarah. I think it is also hard, and we've talked a lot about this, because I am not a Trump supporter, and I have become even less open to Trump throughout his time in office. And so, you know, Melissa is saying, do we ever criticize the left? Melissa's perspective is that the left gets away with a lot more than the right does. She said, I guess I say all this to ask for more positive feedback and info about things the right is doing. I think you ladies are intelligent. I will try to continue listening to you, hear your input and topics I might not otherwise hear about. Thanks for your efforts here. Please discuss any more positive notes to what the right is doing. Please use your influence wisely. Thank you for reading my feedback. And I will say that Melissa put this much more kindly than many of the messages that I receive about this topic. And I appreciate the feedback. And I hear the criticism. And, you know, I every couple of weeks I have a moment where I say to Sarah, I don't know that we're delivering on the idea of left and right because... In addition to not being a Trump supporter and being so disappointed in the leadership of the Republican Party at the national level, I also have realized that my personal contribution in life is kind of being the walking embodiment of keep calm and carry on. (laughs) And so I don't have it in me. You know, one of my friends was really critical of our conversation um, where you mentioned, Sarah, that Hillary Clinton had an advisor who had a Me Too story come out about him. And she was kind of like, Sarah was disappointed and you had nothing to say about that. Come on. And I totally understand why that riled her up. And I said, I also just I don't have it in me to pile on to stuff like that. I want to get out of that idea that and, and I find this frustrating when talking to Democrats. So I will be honest about that. I find it frustrating that I hear 
very few Democrats who are willing to criticize anything in the Democratic Party without an attachment about how much worse the Republican Party is. And even when they're right, that is grating, and I get it. I also know very few Republicans willing to criticize the Republican Party without going into how much worse Democrats are, though. Like, this is just, I think our brains have just come to be wired this way. And I'm not saying you're wrong if you do that. I am saying that I think my personal job is to bring something different to the table. And so I may be, I'm, not, I'm not doing a great job on that. And I admit it. And I also just want to be true to like what I think is important to do here. Well, I was frustrated because she sent us this after the, the episode on moral authority when we both went out of our way to say this is what was lost when our party supported Bill Clinton at all costs. And this is what was lost when our party supported George W. Bush at all costs. So I was just sort of frustrated because I felt like we went out of our way in that podcast to really do that. It is not easy for me to criticize the Clintons. It just isn't. It's not an easy thing for me because I have so much respect for both of them, even though they are both deeply flawed human beings who I believe have made great mistakes in their careers in public service. And so, you know, no, I'm not going to start talking about the apparent lies and crimes of the left. Like, it's not going to happen. But, like, I do feel like I go, I try to criticize and I try to say, like, I get why we're doing this. Is this, is our long game right here? Like, what's the real, what's, what are we really trying to accomplish? But I do often say, like, I get it. Like, I get sort of the motivation. I get the anger. I get the frustration. And I really resent the idea on your behalf that, like, first of all, I think that you don't have to have one person type of personality to talk about politics or to be on the right or the left. I like righteous anger, but I don't think that's the appropriate response every time. I think that we need more people who have a calm tone, and I think we also need people who are ready to get riled up. Like, we say that often. You do you. We need all types at the table. I personally think that in politics generally, and particularly in the Republican Party, probably in the left right now too, though, we need a lot more people that are going to stay calm and say, this is not wrapped up in my entire identity. Like, I can see the errors here. And I don't think that... People who support the president at all costs or people who support the president with major reservations should be the only defining voice representing the right right now. I just don't. I think that's bad for the Republican Party. I think it's bad for our country. Yeah. And I think, you know, if what we are is a place where mostly left-leaning people come to hear a a different perspective from someone who doesn't consider herself left-leaning I guess I'm okay with that. You know, the world yeah. the world the world needs lots of different things and we can't be all of them here. And I think that if I were as um you have a you have a stronger degree of affiliation to the Democratic Party than I do to the Republican Party. And you have a stronger political identity than I do. I think that's what makes our show interesting. I think if we were both calm, it would not be interesting to listen to. I think if we both had a lot of righteous fury, it would not be interesting to listen to. Maybe it would be interesting to listen to if we both had righteous fury, because that seems to be a cable news model. Pod Save America is doing great. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. But, you know, I just have to be me. And if we lose listeners because I'm being me, I'm really sorry. I wish you well. I thank you for having tuned in. I'm not trying to disappoint anyone. I will say to Melissa, in terms of using influence wisely, I do find a lot of agreement with things happening at the state level in Republican parties, not all of them, but some of them. I have some Republican legislators here in Kentucky that I'm very proud of that I think do really good work. There are people and places where I still, you know, I I struggle with sort of 
Jennifer Rubin has just been identified as like no longer on the right for the Washington Post because she's not a Trump person. I hate seeding that ground. I really, I really hate seeding that ground. But I exist as a part of a cultural framework at a moment in time, and it just is what it is. And the only thing that I can say is, after a lot of consideration about this, I am not inclined to pile on to criticism of the left. I think it's much more effective when that criticism comes from you, Sarah. Just like I think it's more effective when the criticism of the right comes from me. And I feel like we're trying to do our best to bring a little balance into a political discussion that doesn't have much of either of those things happening right now. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your 
problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. And I also think, yeah, there are people who send these messages, but we also get a ton of messages, and I hear from, like, my personal friends that for the first time they felt like your representation of the right is what they've been looking for all along, and they feel for the first time that that, is, they, that they have found their political space that they didn't even know existed or that they worried didn't exist. I think there are so many people who feel moderate to right, who feel that these that certain issues speak to them, that they're not totally comfortable on the left, and so... I think for every person who says you don't represent the right, there are five people that say, oh, this is the right that I felt misre- I felt misrepresented by the right. I didn't know this right existed. This feels right to me. Ooh, I used right a lot there. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to make this all about me because I think Melissa's point really gets to an important one that we we kind of have ear training about politics. And, and we are in this space where everyone feels so defensive of where they are that hearing anything contradictory is unsettling and it feels personal. And all I know to say is that that is the work that I care the most about and what I'm trying to do here. And that does mean, I mean, I I felt myself when you raised that about Hillary Clinton's campaign person, I felt myself have this voice of like, yeah, you need to really point that out and say, like, this is a bipartisan issue, da, 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 da. And then I thought, why? Like, that's what everybody's doing. Why do that? That's not who you're supposed to be. Follow up. Did you see her actual message about that? Hillary Clinton's? No. Yeah. She posted a really long message. That's really good. We'll put it in the show notes about how she reached, she feels terrible um, that at the time she did it for a lot of reasons. She believes in second chances. And I wanted to be like, oh, girl, don't we know that? And then she talks about how she called, she called the young woman involved, like, recently and talked to her and wanted to reach out and, and talk about what happened and apologize and felt like and says like feel like now she didn't do enough and the girl said she still had a great experience on the campaign I don't know it's just a really good long nuanced message I was just sort of I don't feel like that's usually her her usual reaction is to be like I messed up I look although she does a lot of that in the book in fairness but in the more recent past I, she doesn't you know I think she usually either ignores or doubles down to my chagrin and then this time, though, I felt like she really was like, okay, I took an honest look at this. I messed up here. I talked to her here. Like, I, I don't know. I thought it was a really good message. The little bit of posting from her, and I am always loath to talk about Hillary Clinton because it is, you know, it's just a place where we really kind of break down and it's unproductive and in the past. But the little bit of uh, social media stuff I've seen from her lately, I feel like she is kind of trying on something different. Yeah. In some ways being a little bit more retrospective, in some ways being a little bit more hard edged. Like I saw a post about someone where she was basically endorsing someone writing that James Comey cost her the election. And so it's interesting to watch. Yeah, I kind of dig it. I kind of dig her like trying out a more authentic voice. Now, I will say I also think having nothing to do with my personal opinion of her, it is the Democratic Party needs to be much more forward looking. I was oh, reading yeah. an article about what happens if Democrats retake the House and there's this inter-party war, as political de- Politico described it. I hate that kind of phrasing. But, you know, a, a lot of people thinking about who should be the speaker and sort of the generational breakdown and how the party has kind of avoided this generational shift for yeah. a while. And it's it's going to have to be worked through. 
And I think that's true and interesting. And it's also an interesting comparison because you would think that the Republican side would really be dominated by the old guard. And it is more the the younger crowd. And, and to my sadness, the younger crowd that pushes a more extreme ideology on mm. the Republican side. Interesting. I want to talk about space now. Okay. Let's end on a positive, exciting note. So SpaceX, Elon Musk's company, launched successfully its first rocket to space. SpaceX rocket. I don't know. I'm just excited. I'm excited, too. So I talked with my husband about this, and my understanding is that this was the first launch of the Falcon Heavy which is the world's most powerful rocket. That's pretty exciting, right? They've launched many rockets, but this apparently was the first of that particular kind. And then Chad explained to me also that they landed two of the three boosters. It's all incredible. I love Elon Musk. Now, I'm sure he's a very flawed person. I don't know much about him. What I love that I've read about him is just, I like people who clearly know what they're about. And he clearly knows what he is going to spend his time on his trips around the sun to do and I think it's awesome yeah so they launched it with like a little red Tesla and a mannequin who I'm just gonna be real at first I thought it was a real person I was like this is not real they do not have a red person circling around the moon in a Tesla and then I realized it's a dummy but and my friends made fun of me but it's still cool you can watch the like the live stream of Starman the little dummy in the red Tesla going around the earth it's so cool and it just shows, I think it just is this really, really important first step in private space travel, which I am here for. And the second we can all buy a ticket from Elon Musk to go up to space, Sarah Stewart Hall will be the first in line. I think it's awesome. I think we need things like this to get us out of Donald Trump's freaking Twitter feed and to think bigger and to think about the universe and to think about how small we are in this moment and how small this moment is in the scope of the universe and the planet. And I just, I'm here for it. Thank you, Elon Musk. I'm here for it. I love all of that too. I am convinced that we are not alone in the universe. I'm excited about what that means. I'm excited about what space has to teach us about disease and about caring for the planet and just about like what our lives mean. I can go mm. pretty deep on that, and I I really enjoy it. And so I agree. I like this private sector investment. I think that's a responsible way to look at it, and I think it's all good news. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Thanks, Elon Musk. We appreciate the galactic moment. So before we close, I want to really encourage you, if you have not listened to our second podcast, to make this week the week that you take on the nuanced life, because we had a conversation about stress and pressure While we did not have it in a political framework, I think it is so relevant, especially to the discussion we were just having of partisanship. And I would love for us to be able to have this entire wonderful community of listeners engage on stress and pressure in our lives. Yeah, we have now a new feature that I like to call the Bruxism Beat, where we check in on the epidemic of clenching and and grinding teeth in America. So I'm I'm excited about the Bruxism beat. I don't know if it'll be weekly, but I'm here for it. Chad's two best friends are both dentists, and they're both really kind of like brothers to him and uncles to our girls. And one of them just texted me saying, I'm so pumped to listen about Bruxism. (laughs) (laughs) It's an epidemic, y'all. It's an epidemic. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. We appreciate all of your feedback, all of your input. As we say time and again, even when you don't hear from us immediately, we are reading and thinking about every message 
message and are grateful for all of your support. We will be back with you here on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com forward slash Pantsuit Politics to become a monthly supporter of the show or rate and review the podcast in the Apple Podcast Player. Thank you to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, George, and Sabrina. Find us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, Facebook, and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. You can also hear his work and get more nuance by checking out our podcast on family, relationships, and values, The Nuanced Life.